Hello and welcome back to the Premier League Trio podcast. My name is Hader and I'm your host as usual today. I'm delighted to be joined by Jim Selverson, who is a West Ham fan, a journalist, a podcaster, in particular Football Social Daily. He's one of the hosts of that fantastic page and he'll talk about that a little bit at the end. But here today we're going to be talking about West Ham. I don't know if that's going to be a good thing or a bad thing for you, Jim, today, but I'm so intrigued to know what's going on behind the scenes because... From an outsider's point of view, it does look a little bit crazy. But without further ado, mate, welcome to the podcast. Nice one. Thank you for having me. It's it's always a pleasure to talk about West Ham, even in the current situation the club finds itself in. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Oh, completely, mate. I just uh, It's just one of those clubs for me where there's so much promise, wasn't there? Let's say when the when Golden and Sullivan came in, they came in with all these promises that West Ham's going to be challenging, win the Champions League, they're going to have a new stadium. They're a club, you know, with illustrious history and it just mm. has not gone that way. I mean, let's talk about the season first. And um, for me, it was probably a disappointing one looking from the outside. West Ham managing to avoid relegation again under David Moyes. Yeah. I mean, what were your thoughts on the season and... Is Moyes the right man for the job? I mean, as a United fan, I've, we've had Moyes at the helm and I can't say he's particularly inspiring. He did well, I think, after the restart. I think you guys, well, Antonio was on fire. He played some good football. Yeah. He managed to secure uh, Premier League football for another season. But West Ham shouldn't be fighting down for uh, with the relegation every year, should they? No, I think certainly the ambitions of the club should be much more than fighting relegation each season. I mean, it seems like a long, long time ago, the start of last season and when it all started to go wrong originally. And you look back and it's it's hard to pin the blame on any one thing or any one person. When Manuel Pellegrini was first appointed at the club, it seemed like a good move. It seemed like an ambitious move, but as a project, it just didn't work. And it turns out that Pellegrini wasn't the right fit for the club. And I think when you look back at the start of last season and the transfers that were brought in in the close season, that's where a lot of the blame for the disaster that was last season lies at the feet of Manuel Pellegrini and particularly at the feet of the director of football that he brought in with him, who sanctioned some very poor and very expensive signings for the club in particular. You've got to look at the signing of Roberto um, and letting Adrian go off to Liverpool on a free transfer. They bought in Roberto. Um, the idea was to save some money on wages, but recently it's come out with Roberto's move away. It's not going to save that much on wages because he was on still £35,000 a week and West Ham are continuing to subsidise his wages after his move back to Spain. So, I mean, that move is looking like a disastrous one, both financially and footballing. But when Fabiaski got injured and Roberto came in, he proved himself to be not a super suitable number two goalkeeper and I think it's harsh to blame a goalkeeper for the losses that the club incurred during that period where he was in net but when you've got a keeper that's throwing the ball back into his own net it's hard to really look elsewhere so I mean it was a calamity of errors last season and I had hopes 
when we kicked off. Even though we lost to Manchester City in the first game and lost badly, I still had hopes. There were signs there of decent football, and I thought top eight, maybe even top six when it all started. But it just didn't happen. And we had too many players not fulfilling their potential. Um, There didn't seem to be a solid plan from Pellegrini. He didn't seem to have a plan B when plan A wasn't really working on the pitch. And in the end, it was David Moyes who came in and saved us from relegation for the second time which you've got to give him a lot of credit for. Is he the right man for the job was the second part of your question. And I think it's just really hard to say right now. Um, He has saved us from relegation twice. So it's only fair that he gets a shot at taking the club forward however he wants to take it forward. But he's not had the time to really put his stamp on that team yet, be it in the transfer market, and he doesn't really look like he's going to get that chance this season, or in terms of the way the team plays on the pitch. He's both periods at the club have been playing with someone else's team. But I think the question is, if you got rid of David Moyes, who would you get in at West Ham? Who would want to come to West Ham to manage that football club? And if we had the David Moyes that left Everton when he went to Manchester United, I'd say 100% he was the right man for the job. But something has happened to David Moyes in the interim. And I think the Manchester United job damaged him. I think the Sunderland job damaged him. I think there was a real Sociedad he went to in Spain. I think that damaged him. And he doesn't seem to quite have the same steel that he did when he was at Everton. So I think he deserves a chance. I I think he's probably the best option we have at the moment. I think if we're looking at someone else, and ideally I'd like to see a younger manager uh, come into West Ham. I wouldn't be adverse to Eddie Howe, although I think Eddie Howe is a bit of a risk. I mean, obviously, someone like Thomas Tuchel, you'd absolutely love to have at your football club. One of those young, dynamic managers, but with the best win in the world, if you're a young, dynamic manager, West Ham is not the project for you at the moment. So I think give David Moyes a chance, see what he can do and let him shape a team and see if he can recapture some of that talent that he showed when he was at Everton, which is a long time ago now. Very long time ago. I mean, I remember, I can remember the day Sir Alex left and they gave him a six year contract. Look, David Moyes, I think you're you're completely right. United damaged him. I mean, United's damaged every single manager since, hasn't Mm. it? You look at Louis van Gaal, his relationship, his relationship, his his reputation's in tatters. Jose Mourinho, I mean, I know he's gone, he's bounced from club to club, one for the first two years, and then everyone knows in the third year he's got that cycle where he obviously implodes. But his relationship, um, I keep on saying relationship, I don't know why. <laughs> Reputation was in tatters as well. Um, obviously, now at Tottenham, he's looking to rebuild that. Solskjaer is one that's come in and he's managed to steady the ship and there's some green shoots, you know, positivity. But look, when I saw Pellegrini come in, I thought, OK, now this is a manager who's got pedigree. He's obviously won a Premier League title. He's got to Champions League semi-final with Man City. He did well with Malaga. He got them in, as a top four club there as well. That's That's great credentials just didn't really happen and when I look at some of the spending so let, let's look at a few players before we move on to the ownership so Jack Shear, you would expect would be a player that would come in obviously very very big reputation when he broke onto the scene but injuries have not been kind but I thought you know what this is a good move Haller's another player who was phenomenal at Frankfurt up from the Jovic again someone I wanted at United a good target man he's built for the Premier League didn't really work out for him. Felipe Anderson, I know he was signed, obviously, not last season, I believe the season before. But again, yeah. very highly rated. Another player that some of the top teams in the Premier League were looking at. Uh, hasn't worked out for him. I mean, w- like, is it 
the environment at the club that they're not they're struggling, or is it actually the scouting is not good enough? Because those three players in particular, you would say, probably could go and play for a Tottenham or an Arsenal mm. or even a Man United to an extent. You know the way that they're they're at. So, what is it? Is it the scouting, or is it just that the the players are coming into an environment that just isn't geared towards you know getting them settled in and towards a plan yeah. forward thinking plan. Firstly, um, I think they're all they're all, they're on the face of it. They are solid signings, as you say. Philippe Anderson was great at Lazio. Haller had uh, a great season in the Bundesliga. Jack Wilshire is a player who kind of suits West Ham in that his talent is always hiding in some way. We've never quite seen the full potential for him, and I think they all still have something to offer. I don't know whether they were the right players to bring into the club at that time. And I think that's one of the issues with West Ham as a football club. There doesn't seem to be a solid plan in terms of recruitment or style of play or in terms of how to take the club forward. And I mean, you take Haller as a perfect example. When he was at Stuttgart, he was a player that played really well as a front two. And that's how he scored his goals and where he showed his talent, being able to help, being able to kind of play as a combo, which he hasn't been utilised in that way at all at West Ham. He's been played as a lone striker, which doesn't suit his game at all. And he's not had the players around him to really enable him to shine. But at the same time, there is still a player in there and it's not time to write him off yet. And that's what I thought a director of football would bring to the club when um, Pellegrini came in and uh, Julios came in as director of football. I thought that's what he'd bring. I thought he'd bring a top-down structure, which kind of laid it out well where you're recruiting players to fit a style rather than recruiting players because they're available. And that seems to be the problem with West Ham and the problem we still find ourselves in, that West Ham don't... You mentioned the scouting. West Ham don't have a scouting network, which is absolutely ludicrous to say for a top-flight Premier League club. They have one scout on their books. One scout, which means you don't get an opportunity. Seriously, one scout. There is one full-time scout at West Ham, which means you don't get an opportunity to have a look at particular players. You're not able to go and scout the German second division or the French league or or whatever it is and find those talented young players or uh, players that are ripping it up across Europe and look how how well Wolves do scouting in Portugal and some of the gems they find there. That's non-existent at West Ham. Instead, they rely on relationships that they have established with agents and if you're relying on a, <laughs> relationships established with agents, the agent only has one person's interest in heart, and that is his player and getting in the most money possible. Yeah, it's not it's not an effective way to recruit football players, and that has been one of the big problems at West Ham. So the players that have been bought in haven't been bought in to play in a certain system. They haven't been bought in to play a certain way. They haven't been bought in to play a certain job. They've been bought in because they are connected with the club in some way. And they are deemed good players. And I've no doubt they're all good players. I've no doubt they're good players. But you have to play a certain style to suit the personnel you have. And that hasn't always happened. I uh, completely agree. You know, you look at, let's say United. Look, I'm a United fan, so I'm always going to bring it back to United. We don't have a director of football. Sir Alex left. One man that ran the whole club along with David Gill. When, you, when he left, the whole club left with him. So we bounced from yeah. David Moyes. One certain style of player. I wouldn't say Mo- um, Moyes is an expansive manager. Uh, you know, style of player sort of manager it is defensive. I would say compact, uh, playing on more on the break. I'd say. Then you move to Louis Van Gaal, who's possession based. So you go and buy players that are for a p- 
possession-based style of game. He gets sacked two years in, and then you bring in Mourinho again, who's a completely different style. So you've got uh, just this mishmash of players, high wages. It's similar to what's going on at West Ham. So you have mm. no continuity. And Okay, so let me which ask is, you one question. The, which, which is where the success from Manchester United is coming from, I think, recently. Yeah. And you've always had this problem with recruitment where you've your clubs run by an accountant rather than someone who understands football, which yeah. is always a bit of an issue. Uh, but I think recently the recruitment started to be got right at Manchester United because they've almost gone, right, well, who do we need to recruit? And let, let's buy players that fit our system and buy players that fit the way we want the club to go forward in the future. And that's young, hungry, with a core of English talent. And once that's been bought in, the, the, you can see how the club started to turn around. Yeah, completely agree. And that's that's definitely the case. You look at the last probably two windows under Solskjaer, you could probably argue that every single one of those signs, you look at, okay, Maguire was very expensive. And I'm I'm not mm. the biggest Harry Maguire fan, but United had the joint second, I think, with City, or they were third best defence in the league. So you can't say that he hasn't made an impact. Obviously, he's not worth 80 million. I don't think anyone can say he is. But you look at Bruno Fernandes, probably the best player since he joined in the league. And you look at... Um, you know, other players that have come in. Well, Wan-Bissaka is a good signing. So for sure, I mean, look, if I said to you now, was Pellegrini the right manager? Would you say yes? And who would you have brought in? Because there was Rafa Benitez that was they were speaking about very heavily. Paolo Fonseca, who went to Roma again, good manager. Yeah. I mean, would you have also considered someone like Marco Rose from the Bundesliga, uh, Mönchengladbach? I mean, what, what is West Ham's criteria for a manager? Because how can you go from Moyes sacking him, then to Pellegrini, then back to Moyes? Like, I don't understand what the criteria of... Who's choosing the manager? Well, I mean, Golden Sullivan are choosing the manager, aren't they? What criteria they have in place to choose a manager, I have no idea what it is. And I, I thought Pellegrini would be a good choice when he came to West Ham. And I don't know quite why it didn't work out, because he was backed to a certain extent. He wasn't backed to the extent I think some people believe he was, we spent a lot of money in that transfer window. I think it was getting on towards a hundred million pounds, but actually a hundred million pounds in the current market doesn't buy you a massive amount. It certainly doesn't guarantee success. And it just didn't work out for Manuel Pellegrini. Rafa Benitez, I think would have been at the time, a really interesting choice for the football club. I think the circumstances that he had success with up at Newcastle, are very similar to the circumstances that he would have experienced at West Ham in terms of a board that don't want to spend huge amounts of money, a team that first and foremost, as much as West Ham likes to see itself as the uh, the West Ham way, the free-flowing academy of football, all that kind of rubbish that we've not seen at the club for 20-odd years, I think as much as they like to see that, the most important thing about the West Ham side at the moment is not conceding goals and, and making it as compact and difficult to beat as possible. And I think Rafa Benitez would have been able to do that with the personnel he had and with the budgets that were available. So I think he, in retrospect, would have been the better choice than Manuel Pellegrini. Now the club find himself in a completely different circumstance where it would appear the board are almost going, hey, look, we tried it. We tried investing a bit of money. We bought in a big name manager. We gave him money to spend and it didn't work. So now we're going to back off that. So it's a completely different situation where you're looking for the best in your price range rather than the best that's available. It, that's one of the most ludicrous things. I hear United fans say the same thing where, OK, so we had 
Jose Mourinho, the big manager with the big CV in them. Oh, it didn't work. So, you know, we that can't work anymore. We have to now go towards the club legend. It just doesn't make sense. Look, uh, I've said it many times. I'm happy to put my hands up when it came to Solskjaer that, look, come December of, of you know, last season, I think most people would have said, this guy's out of his depth. Obviously, it's worked out. But I just think that it's that lack of planning, isn't it? Whether you're a top, top club like United or your club w- wanting to break in, you know, there is... There is similar, I guess, problems that you're seeing at both clubs. And when I spoke to someone who um, on the podcast, who's uh, like a Portuguese league sort of expert, and he was actually telling me the amount of talent in that league, like you mentioned Wolves, the amount of talent there at extremely reasonable prices, because all the clubs there are just strapped for cash. You know, yeah. Wolves bought a player, this new new player, Silva, Fabio Silva. Apparently he's meant to be, I know it's early days, but he's, as highly rated as Ronaldo was when he left all the way in 2003. 35 million is an absolute steal. West Ham can buy these sort of players, but you're all right, it's a scouting. But let's move on to the ownership because this is something which I've done a bit of reading, but I don't really understand the ins and outs. And I'm sure you know this a lot better than me, but there's been a lot said, especially in the last what, month or so, about the ownership in particular. And the fans are obviously very unhappy. Can you give the listeners a summary of the situation and why it's reached you know this sort of climax i think at the moment and what way is it going to go because i don't see them selling anytime soon yeah um first off i will say something hugely controversial when it comes to the board and west ham and that's that they deserve some credit for what they have done at the football club because when they came in and bought the club 10 years ago west ham was on the brink of ruin it was about to enter financial disaster so if it hadn't been for golden sullivan coming in when they did and buying the club and i don't know what other parties are interested but there might not even be a football club but that is kind of where the praise ends because i think the mismanagement of the football club has been what has really upset the fan base and also the questionable intentions of the board um uh, in public and in private, I wonder whether the ambitions for them are exactly the same thing because they seem to be very different. In public, there seems to be this aspiration for European football and entering the upper echelons of the Premier League. In private, I see very little evidence of actually that ambition kind of being realised or even executed. So, I mean, if you look back to when they took over the club, it's been a decade now. And I think the main sticking point over those 10 years has been the unfulfilled promises that have been made by the board. That's what really has upset West Ham fans. They, five years ago, were told that leaving Upton Park, a stadium that every West Ham fan absolutely adored and damaging not only the history of the football club by leaving, but the community that was built around Upton Park. And West Ham has always been a family community club, but a lot of businesses went bust as a result of the football stadium being moved to the Olympic Stadium. But that move was kind of balanced by the idea that we were going to be able to invest more in the playing squad, that we were going to be able to reach that European promised land. And none of that's really happened. Why that's happened, I think, is something that's a little bit up for debate. It is either to do with incompetence from the board that they don't know what is required to reach that level or they completely misjudged what is required to reach that level or it's down to greed and 
the club and the board wants to take money out of the club and not invest properly, neither which is a particularly good look. Quite simply, there's not been enough investment in the either the infrastructure we talked about the scouting network um the training ground is in desperate need of renovation and investment the investment in players hasn't been quite enough either to reach that limit to get to where they want to be and i think that's what really upsets west ham fans there's been token efforts like the appointment of manuel pellegrini that we touched upon and the transfers that have been made there's been some big money transfers that suggests there is intention there but it's been kind of a a drop in the ocean and it's never quite been enough to make that step up and when you compare West Ham to a club like Everton for example and I think a few years ago you would have put West Ham and Everton on quite even footings in terms of their potential of reaching the next level now you've got Everton about to move into a new purpose-built football stadium and signing James Rodriguez and you've got West Ham offloading wastes of money like Jordan Hugill, signing, getting rid of their best youth players and looking at putting a few more seats into the Olympic Stadium to to make it a bit better for the fans. It's just they're at completely different levels now. So I think recently, or in the last few weeks, we've seen this anger over the, the sale of Grady Dean Garner, um, one of the prospects to come through the youth academy. But the anger isn't really to do with the selling of that player it's kind of like when you have an argument with your partner about leaving a dirty mug in the sink or something like that and it blows into a big argument it's never about the dirty mug it's never about the dirty mug it's about the 100 things that came before the dirty mug that have just built up to this moment so that's where the fan base that's just a catalyst isn't it exactly that's a catalyst exactly so dean garner is the dirty mug that's where we're at um (laughs) and west ham fans are angry. that's going to be west ham fans are angry but they're not necessarily angry about the sale of the player although that is a frustration they're about they're upset about the broken promises they're upset about leaving the club's spiritual home they're upset about damaging the community they're upset about not reaching that next level and they're upset about the lack of intention or seemingly the lack of intention from the board to ever want to fulfill those promises in the first place. That's a great summary, mate, honestly. And let's let's talk about uh, Dean Garner because I did have him down as one of the questions. But so, yeah, so you're saying it's, it's the catalyst, but why are West Ham's selling one of their best prospects to a Premier League rival. I mean, West Brom have just come up. West Brom probably showing more ambition than West Ham are. And mm. you're just showing things else. But you saw the likes of Noble and Wilshere. They were very quick to voice their anger at, you know, the sale of um, Diangana. And like, how big of a loss is he? You said, obviously, he's, you know, he is that the catalyst, isn't he, for the other problems. But what, what sort of message is that to send to the fans pretty much on the eve of the new season? Yeah, I mean... Dean Garner is one player and one player should never cause the reaction that he's caused in terms of players and fans getting upset about him leaving. He was a real talent. He wanted to stay at the football club. He's been at the football club for a decade playing through the youth academy. He was an exciting, fresh prospect. He looked good in pre-season. So all this stuff is in the pro column. But at the same time, a football club needs a balanced squad and... West Ham, for whatever reasons, despite being reportedly the 15th richest club in the world, don't have any money to spend on players. And the position that Dean Garner played in is the the, the West Ham squad is really weighted into those wide attacking players. We have plenty of players that can fill those positions. So 
it makes sense to offload some of your resource in that area and invest it in the areas where maybe you don't have the same level of players or you you need to recruit. And th- this isn't FIFA career mode. You can't just stick Jack Wilshire or Felipe Anderson or Robert Snodgrass on the transfer list and sell in the next week. You can only sell players when there is a genuine interest. And there was a genuine interest in Diagana at what I think is probably a fair price. I believe they negotiated to 18 million pounds an upfront fee as opposed to originally it was 12 million then add-ons and 18 million pounds I mean he could turn into a 30 40 million pound player but where he currently is 18 million pounds is probably fair it's not great he's being sold to someone who is going to be rivaling us for relegation probably this season but it is what it is the big question for me about his sale is well two things one who sanctioned the sale was it a choice of Golden Sullivan who wanted to bring the cash in or was it a choice of David Moyes who has, who he, he just didn't fit into his plans for the season and he wants to spend that money on a left back or a centre back or whatever it is. If it's the latter, I don't mind as much rather than Golden Sullivan making football decisions, which they shouldn't be. The other thing that upsets me slightly about Dean Garner and I think probably upsets a few people is what it says about the club going forward and the direction of the club going forward. Because as we know, the club at the moment are pleading poverty with the COVID crisis um, and the lack of fans in the stadiums and all that kind of thing. Why that's the case, like I say, I don't know. You've got clubs like Newcastle who are probably in similar situations who are able to spend money. So I don't know why West Ham suddenly can't spend money, but we don't, we can't see their accounts. We don't know how much truth there is in that. But this was a great opportunity for me this season to use that lack of ability to invest and bring through some of the academy players. Now, West Ham have long been known as the academy of football. We've seen very little realisation of that in the playing squad. We haven't seen a good crop of youngsters come through from the academy in a long, long time. But the current crop that is about to break through is actually one of the most promising groups of talented players since... Joe Cole and Rhea Ferdinand and Michael Carrick and all that lot came through. We've got players like Grady, who's left, obviously, Connor Coventry, Julian Baptiste, uh, Joseph Anang, the young goalkeeper, Ben Johnson, who played a bit last season. Josh Cullen looks very promising as well. Some real talent that could have broken through to the Premier League this season. And for me, it would have been a real statement of intent to go, we're going to give these guys a chance. And that would have included uh, Dean Garner. I think now you're you're kind of... What, you're saying something to those young players that they Send might... Me a message, aren't you? Yeah, you're kind of going, you might not get the chance for this football club. You might get to a certain stage and then get sold and shipped out. And also, that those players as a crop of players, and we've seen the outrage from the senior players like Mark Noble about um, Grady leaving. But these young players that probably haven't got... The, haven't don't want to damage their careers by making these statements at the moment it's all very well mark noble coming out on twitter and saying he's unhappy he's got a season left at west ham probably and that's it but these young players like connor coventry who have been through the academy system with grady they're not going to speak out at this stage but they're going to be hurting they're going to be upset from one of their teammates that they would have wanted to break through into the first team leaving the club so yeah it kind of goes what's the intention of the football club what do we want to do do we want to support our young players or do we want to invest in established Premier League talent? At the moment, it's neither, it would seem. And that lack of ambition and that lack of direction, I find really disappointing. Uh, yeah, I, I just completely agree. And like I said, obviously, United are on a bigger scale. But we, we've... we Look, a bad owner can make or break a club. doesn't matter 
what club you are. You look at Arsenal, for example, you know, obviously across the city and a club which, you know, in the first probably 10 years of Wenger's reign were competing for Premier League titles. New ownership comes in and they're just battling for top four. And as you've seen steadily, they've just dropped and dropped and dropped. And we've kind of seen that with West Ham as well. But you also look at Man United, owners coming in 2005, greatest manager of all time. But look, it's not like the, the West Ham owners haven't spent. And this is a point that people get mixed up saying, oh, no money's been spent. It's like United, money's been spent. 1.2 billion has been spent in the last seven years. It's how that money's been spent. And mm. both clubs don't have, for example, director of football who's going to implement the style. I'm a big fan of a director of football because I think that in the modern game, the manager's role as all-encompassing doesn't really work anymore. There's no longer the the Fergies and the you know the Vengers of the you know you know of the managerial world anymore because no club's going to put that much emphasis on the manager and, and you know hope they're going to be there for 20 years. It just doesn't work. I was looking at yeah. some statistics. A manager's average length at a club in England is 14 months since 2012. 14 months. You can't put all that pressure or all that responsibility on the manager with a position that's very transient. You know, he has a bad, bad, you know, six to eight games. They can get sacked. So yeah. for me, I just, I mean, have, have West Ham still got a direct football? I know that you had the one on the Pellegrini. No. Is he still there? No. So there's not, so the people making all the decisions are non-football people. Yeah. Well, they'd like to think of themselves as football season uh, people, I think, but uh, yeah, definitely not. But you're right. You need that kind of overarching, almost like a bird's eye view of how the future of the club's going to pan out. And that has to be above the managers because once a manager reach, I mean, managers seem to spend less and less time at clubs at the moment. Anyway, they seem to work in cycles nowadays where it's kind of three or four or five years. And once you get to the end of that cycle, it feels like you need to refresh with new ideas. Um, and we've seen it with Pep Guardiola, wherever he goes, one of the greatest football managers in the world. He seems to have a shelf life at the various clubs. But also to use Manchester City as an example, before Pep Guardiola came in, we know they appointed um, what's his name, Tiki Berger, Berger Stein, Steen, yeah. And, sorry, yeah, yeah, years so before. Appointed, yeah, exactly. And he was there two years before, and I was down. I live in Manchester. I was down at the City training ground, and I was watching the kids play. So this is like the the seven, eight year old kids, and they were being trained to play the way that Bayern Munich and Barcelona had played under Pep Guardiola before. And it was incredible to see how even at that stage, even going back down, down to those seven, eight, nine real youth development teams, they were this kind of overarching view of football was being implemented and these players were being brought in. And I have absolutely no doubt that when Pep Guardiola leaves that football club, they'll have an idea already as to who they want to replace him and the type of football they want to play after that. It's a, and, and the way the club is going to roll out and the development of not only the football club, but the area around the football club as well and the way it interacts with the community and the training regimes and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, they've got a complete plan, be it 10 or 20 or 30 years. I think West Ham would be lucky to have a 10-hour plan rather than a 10-year plan. But you, you need that nowadays. And it's all about that's how you run a modern football club. I completely agree. And this is something I've said uh, several times on my podcast. Uh, you just have to look at, let's say Dortmund. So there's a great book. I can't remember what it's called now, but um, Mikhail Zork obviously is the director of football there. And he essentially said that Dortmund's in a very working class area. So the whole point of the the football team is it's a lifeblood of the community, right? You know, look, we're not, let's not be silly. People, you know, even in Manchester, West Ham, around the area, you know, these are people that work so hard and their joy is Come the weekend, they go and watch their beloved West Ham, their Manchester City, Man United, etc. And so, Mike, Mikhail Zork said it's 
Dortmund's responsibility to play attacking football, play brilliant football, entertain the fans. None of this defensive chess sort of football. Mm. And so he said that those philosophies are ingrained in the way that Dortmund do their business. So Dortmund, look, Dortmund know, and they're probably the best example. And West Ham could be a Dortmund. This is a point. Dortmund know they're not going to go and buy the Jane Sancho's at 100 million. But what they do is they go and they invest in that scouting system. They've got the best scouting system around, I would say. They buy them young, they develop them, and they ensure that, like you said, look at West City from top to bottom, they're all playing the same style. So when these players come in, they slip in seamlessly. And this is where Bayern Munich are so successful. This is where Dortmund are so successful. And this is where City are. And I just think that it's, it's something that's not hard to do because if you just put the right people in the right places, no one's asking you to go and spend 100 million on a player every summer. This is something that I always say that there's a lot of clubs that can't do that. But if you actually invested in your infrastructure, you could be creating these players on a, a long-term basis. But mm. I'm just going to read a few quotes to you from the owners because I think, you know, I kind of want to get your opinion. So as you were saying, so the first one's world-class stadium. Okay. Second one is world-class team. Um, and there's another one that says it won't be old journeymen. Another one says young, energetic, fired up players. And the next one is next level battling with Spurs, Arsenal and Chelsea for London supremacy. Mm. You said earlier, obviously, they have they have in some ways not failed because they saved the club. I know West Ham are really debt stricken. It could have been another Portsmouth, but they've really failed, haven't they? Um, yeah, it's difficult. I mean, you compare them to those clubs you mentioned that they're competing with for London supremacy. Chelsea have just spent 89 million quid on one of the most exciting young players in Europe. Arsenal have got a promising young manager in place and are looking to compete for top four next season. Spurs, no matter what you think of Jose Mourinho, he is one of the highest profile managers in world football. And they've got an absolutely stunning stadium that is purpose built for football. West Ham are playing in an athletic stadium and have got David Moyes as manager. Talk to me and, about that stadium, Jim. Talk to me about that stadium because do, do I, I agree. Go on. I've, I mean, I've never been to the London Stadium, which as a West Ham fan, uh, I'm slightly ashamed to say. Um, I haven't been to see West Ham for a while, mainly because I, I live in Manchester, which is a poor excuse. And I have uh, a young family, so I've struggled to get down recently. But also, I haven't really wanted to go down to the stadium. I've been to have a look around it when there's been no games on, but I haven't actually been to a match day. Um, but from what I hear, it's, it's, it's just completely lacking in the atmosphere that it had at Upton Park. The seats are too far away from the pitch. Uh, it's as simple as that. And a lot of the seats, particularly further back, have really poor sight lines to the football pitch because they it's not the square. It doesn't face all directly in. So it's not working for the club. To be fair to them, they have made some improvements for this season coming. They bought a few of the seats closer to the pitch. I don't know what difference that's going to make. And I think one of the issues with the stadium is you can fit more seats into it potentially than the capacity of the stadium. So it's a 65,000 seater capacity stadium, but it could potentially be uh, 75 80 000 seat to stadium meaning there's pockets of the ground all over the place with no one in it which obviously doesn't help atmosphere either so i think there are some challenges challenges there uh, but that is what it is and again i'm going to give a rare bit of credit to the board they pulled an absolute blinder in terms of negotiating the lease of that stadium so i think it's 1.5 million pound a year 
Yeah, something like that, two and a half million a year, which is which is crazy. Yeah, which I mean, if you're a, if you're a taxpayer, you should be furious about it. If you're a West Ham fan, you're kind of oh, fair play. Um, so they've done all right from that point of view, and I think that is that's the home of West Ham. We're not going to move. We're not going to spend five hundred million pound or whatever the Spurs Stadium cost in redeveloping. That is what it is, and. I think it has the potential to be a decent home for West Ham. They're making efforts to make it feel more like a club ground more rather than the rented accommodation. And I think once results turn, if they turn, then it will feel more like home. I mean, once you start winning games, that makes life a little bit easier and will improve the atmosphere. No end. What we can't happen, though, is West Ham can't be a championship club playing in a stadium like that with 30,000 people there every week because it will just the the rot will well and truly uh set in i mean from the quotes you gave about the world-class stadium world-class team non-journeyman football um i forget what the other one is battling they're they're kind of their quotes taken from across a 10-year period which kind of shows how there is a lack of direction because the objective has changed time and time again. And the most recent quotes relate to the non-journeyman football and the young energetic players, which is actually a hundred percent agree with it's what the club should be doing for looking for those young players. You mentioned about scouting properly and bringing through young players. I think that's the future of the football club is finding those young players and almost in a Dortmund way, looking for resale value. And bringing these youngsters in that once they get to 24, 25, you can sell them on for 20, 30 million pound profit. I don't particularly want my football club to be a selling football club, but I think that is probably a realistic ambition. And I think also where the West Ham fans find themselves, West Ham fans are a funny lot. They're they're very forgiving if a player seems to play for the shirt. It's like almost effort is more important than quality. And And we saw people like... Carlton Cole, who never had the greatest quality, but were loved by portions of the West Ham fans because he never seemed to give up and would give absolutely anything for the West Ham shirt. So if you can get those young, energetic players in, particularly the ones that have come through the youth system, who are going to play for the shirt, who do want to be at the football club, I think that buys them a little bit of time. And maybe you'll see the crowd not getting on their back quite as early as your Sebastian Allers and your Felipe Andersons who have been brought in for huge sums of money but don't seem to want to put in the same level of effort and I don't like the accusation of any footballer that a footballer doesn't try I don't believe any professional footballer goes onto the pitch and goes oh I can't be bothered today anyone who plays sport on any level knows that when you step on to whatever pitch it is or whatever court it is you want to win and you want to put effort in so I don't buy the idea that footballers down tools but I can understand how that can be an accusation towards them. And yeah, I think it'd be an interesting step for the football club to take to to look at those young, energetic players to get the recruitment right, to get the scouting right, which just hasn't, with the exception of maybe people like Jared Bowen, it just hasn't been the case. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's um, that's something I get frustrated about as well, even as a United fan. I say, okay, fine, if you're not going to go and spend the big money, then buy the best young talent around. It's very easy to do. Have a have an infrastructure in place that where they'll thrive. And you know what? I much prefer. Maybe this is silly because the problem is nowadays with the modern fan is that it's transfers, transfers, transfers. I'm bored of transfers, Jim. Honestly, like this whole transfer window has just been 
boring mainly because i'm looking over and chelsea is signing like everyone because it's as if it's manager mode on fifa but uh, it's just boring i let me talk about football let me talk about the match analysis let me talk about you know what's actually going on in the pitch and the problem is this is mm. new era of fifa fans that all they care about is transfers 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 i much prefer seeing mason greenwood come through the way he's done and just completely taking the league by storm than go and spend you know 100 million don't get me wrong i really want sancho but you know what i'm trying to say it's yeah. so much more it, it, it you feel much more of a connection when they've come to your academy and you've just seen yeah. them flourish and it, you know it just feels well, look, look at phil foden at manchester city and the exactly. desperation that's been from manchester city fans for the last 12 months to see him playing more and more football and he's finally making that step up to the first team and he's absolutely bossing it um but that that's that's kind of like it's that whole one of our own thing that you want, you, there needs to be a connection quite often, particularly when things aren't going great. There needs to be a connection between the players on the pitch and the fans in the stadium. And that is so rare in football nowadays. And why players like Mason Greenwood and players like uh, Phil Foden and for West Ham, players like Mark Noble, which is why his statement when he came out saying he was angry about the transfer of Grady was so interesting because it showed him to be a West Ham fan and to be that connection. So, yeah, it's, it's a really important thing for particularly, I think, match-going fans. And you're right, there's this whole generation of football Twitter and FIFA players that are just interested the worst, in... Jim, the yeah, worst. I, I mean... It's ruined football, but I, that's my opinion. I would never judge a fan for how they want to enjoy the game. I think it's... like if you want to sit at home watching Sky Sports every day, every every weekend and watching it, or if you just want to follow on football Twitter, you, you, you be you. You do what you want to yeah. do. You can enjoy the game however you like. But... I think it's just as important to still have that connection on the pitch and to have that that one of our own, that person that feels like it could be you standing in the centre of midfield spraying balls around. Absolutely. That, that is beautifully said. And let's go on to the last two uh, questions. So obviously we've touched on, you know, the years of poor investment. It's taken its toll. But where do the Hammers need to strengthen? for the upcoming season. I know the transfer window is everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. And um, who do you have an idea of who they should bring in? I mean, I think you need a left back. Cresswell has been a, a really good servant for the club, but I think that's an area you need to probably invest in possibly center back. I would say um, I would honestly say up front and on the wings, you're actually all right. You know, all right. I think probably in midfield, you maybe need a bit more quality, but what, what's your opinion on Pablo Fornells as well? Because he's someone that came again, very highly rated, there's questions where his yeah. best position is. Um, but do you see him having a better season this season? Um, I think, I mean, the club's not going to get wide scale, large scale investment. It's just not going to happen. I think we can all agree on that point. And I think you're probably right in terms of the real problem areas are left back at the moment. I'm a big fan of Cresswell. I think he's had a great, was it five years at the club or something now, but his last season was poor and we struggled defensively, potentially a centre-back as well, because Diop has looked erratic at times. I think he's a player with a great future, but he just, at 22, he doesn't look mature enough to maybe be our first-choice centre-back alongside a bonger at the moment. But if you go 1-11, to 11, the, 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 the squad is decent. I think Fabianski's got probably this season, and then we need to look at bringing someone else in. Um, I think... Uh, Ben Johnson is a good option uh, right back. Um, if we said Diop and Obaga, Bonner in the middle, I think that's an okay centre-back option. You probably want a bit of investment in the centre-back area. Left-back, 
we've got Cresswell, who probably needs replacing, and Masuaku, who is a defender who hates defending, which is always a problem. As you say, we've got decent attacking players in the wing, Suchek, um, uh, Rice in the middle with maybe Fornells or Anderson playing number 10 is probably decent, and Haller up front is probably decent as well. The problems we seem to face is that we don't play players in the positions they're supposed to play. So Pablo Fornells, I think, has got great potential as a number 10. I don't think he's a wide player. Similar with Felipe Anderson. He seems to have come into the Premier League with a reputation for playing in wide midfield, but he's not. He's really a number 10 and he plays better at number 10. So I think if we can start playing players in the players that in the positions they're supposed to play, there probably isn't a massive need for investment, particularly when you take the young players that I mentioned earlier and slot those and add a little bit of depth. Left back, centre back, I think that's probably where the main investment would be. I'm slightly worried about our options up front, actually, because Haller hasn't really done it yet. He showed flashes of what he can do. He scored a hat-trick in one of our preseason games, but I th- there, there seems to be very little depth there. I mean, he is the one natural striker in the squad at the moment, and I don't think there is another team in the Football League that would go into a season with one out-and-out striker. And Antonio played there towards the end of last season and did a great job, but he missed some absolutely nailed on chances as well. He's not a natural finisher. And I think when, no, you, get as, when you get as few chances as you get in the Premier League, you kind of need a natural finisher to play in that role. I'd like to see uh, Antonio playing with Haller up front. I think that would be really interesting. Uh, we've also got Jared Bowen who could play up front potentially as well. So I think another striking option would be interesting. The question for me would be, who would you get? Again, it's like the it's like the manager situation. Who's your better option than David Moyes? Because can I put a name? Can I put a name forward? Yeah, Troy Dini. Troy Dini. Yeah, I, I, I mean Troy Dini is the ultimate non-strike, non-scoring striker, which I think. But he, he brings that. He, he brings that like you know that passion. He he won't yeah. let people sort of because I think that's something that's lacking West Ham is that there's obviously look you literally gone from one to eleven. There's talent there. Clearly, there's talent there. Especially, look, Felipe Anderson and Pablo Fornals. That's immense talent for a side, you know, that has been fighting relegation last season. I mean, I, they, you should be way up there competing with, uh, you know, the, for seventh, sixth, seventh spot. But mm. someone like Troy Deeney, I honestly think you should have gone for Jamal Lewis from Norwich. I do not know why he didn't. Yeah. Newcastle made some really good signings. Ryan Fraser would have been possibly another one. I know he's a winger. You don't really need wingers. And Callum Wilson's another one. There's Josh King as well from Bournemouth. Gerard Delafeu is a good player. Decore, you pro- probably could have gone for. The problem with attracting players is we've got Haller as this £45 million marquee signing. We've got Antonio, who's making a case to play in that central striking role. It's like, how do you attract a player? What are you offering them? Uh, are you offering them the opportunity to sit on the bench and potentially be back up? And in which case, that doesn't... We mentioned earlier the idea of not bringing in these journeymen looking for an easy payday. It doesn't really fit that criteria. So you're probably looking at young players then um, and taking the chance on youth, in which case there's, there's academy products you can look at. So I, I, I think maybe a player like Troy Deeney is right, actually. Someone who can add something a little bit different, can add a bit of steel and grit on the pitch and maybe is happy because his knee's not great. Is happy to kind of play a... a a part role in the season rather than be the man all the time. So I, I think we'll, I think we'll try and strengthen centre back and left centre back and that'll be it. But if we get injuries in key positions like centre forward, if Haller picks up another knock, I think there's real trouble. 
One question I'm going to ask you, one particular player who I think I think's a fantastic player, probably someone who I slept on a little bit last season. Up until probably the restart, I thought Declan Rice obviously is a talented player. Um, I, but I was thinking, you know, the price being quoted, it's like James Madison, right? 80 million people were asking for. Jack Grealish, 80 million. You have that English premium, that British premium yeah. that you have. United have signed Van der Beek and uh, Bruno for that 80 million fee. So, you know, there is talent out there to be bought. And I always think that English players are overhyped and overrated. But looking at Declan Rice, especially that Chelsea game when you won 3-2, that particularly stands out to me. Great engine in midfield, great recovery pace, excellent reader of the game, you know, in terms of inter- interceptions and tackles. But actually, good passer of the ball. That was always my worry that, you know, if he was to go to a bigger club, because I know City have been linked, United, and obviously Chelsea, and that's what I'm going to ask you, is Chelsea in for him? But, you know, he, he can go on to be a very good player. Do you expect him to stay this season, or is it just inevitable that he's on his way to Chelsea? I don't think he should play centre-back, by the way. He's a defensive midfielder. Yeah. Lampard wants to play him centre-back. He's going to get exposed. If Chelsea think that they're going to go and spend money, he's just going to play centre-back. That's, again, as you say, square pegs in round holes. I think he's, yeah, I mean, he's definitely a defensive midfielder. I think he's got too much quality to play centre-back as well, and too much potential. And you just have to see how he's slotted into the England lineup to know that he can do it at that top top level what I like about Declan Rice is it seems all effortless for him he's kind of a little bit like Kante in that way that it just seems like the game's easy you just pick it up you move it on and you dispossess another player it just seems an absolute piece of cake do I think he'll go to Chelsea I mean if I was him would I go to Chelsea yeah I probably would he's not a West Ham Academy product he was brought in from the Chelsea Academy and he's best mates with Mason Mount who's currently doing the business at Chelsea. So if I was him, I'd probably want to go. Um, whether it's this season or whether it's next season, I don't know. I mean, if he was sold in the next few weeks, I uh, I think the West Ham board would have to count themselves lucky. There's no fans in the stadium at the moment because at the end of the first game, there would not be a stadium left. It would be absolute revolt. 80 million quid though. I mean, I think it's probably a fair price looking at the current market. You don't get a lot for 80 million quid. Like you say, Van der Berg and um, Fernandez is actually a decent bit of business for Manchester United for for that amount. And as as much as I love Declan Rice, as much as I think he's a great player and the future West Ham captain, if that 80 million quid was guaranteed to be reinvested in the squad, if the transfer targets had been identified before the deal was done, Contact have been made with the players. Contracts agreed in principle. Transfer fees agreed in principle. As long as the due diligence was done before the transfer moved Declan Rice to Chelsea, I actually wouldn't necessarily... I'd hate to see him go, but I, it would kind of make sense to me. Because, I mean, if you, you, Cristiano Ronaldo would be a brilliant player for your local pub team. But it's almost wasted. You'd rather let him go and upgrade the rest of the team. And I think, sadly, that's kind of a position West Ham find themselves in at the moment, that the money that he'd bring in to reinvest in the playing staff is probably more important than having him there at the moment. It reminds you of the Coutinho situation, doesn't it, where Liverpool sold him for a huge fee and they invested in a, a world-class goalkeeper, best defender in the world, and, uh, and a midfielder. And they, and they won the league. And yeah, it is that case. But the, the biggest, as you said, mentioned at the end, the question is whether that's going to get invested. I think that's why West Ham fans are so angry. And that's why, 
you know, a lot of fans of clubs are angry because you see uh, owners, you know, they, they sell a star player for a big fee and a fraction that's invested into the squad. And that's the problem, isn't it? But before I ask you about your own podcast, um, Jim, expectations for next season. Give me, uh, give me a couple of lines on where you think West Ham are going to finish. Um, I'm flirting at the moment between survival just by like a point and relegation uh, so that's kind of my expectations at the moment I think there's probably I think there's probably three worse teams in the Premier League than us next season I think Fulham will finish rock yeah. bottom I think Aston Villa will struggle again and then it's one other that I hope will finish just below West Ham maybe Palace yeah well I think Palace might do all right next I, I don't know it, it's difficult to tell at the moment but you'd like to think there's three worst squads in there particularly if we can strengthen that center back and left back positions i think we'll probably finish 15th something along those lines a lot of it depends on what happens in those first few games because i think it's the first eight games for west ham next season look absolute nails and it could be a situation that after eight games there isn't a single point on the board and if that happens all bets are off it could be a really tough position to come back from if we can get say seven points, two wins of the draw from the first eight games, I think we're probably looking at safety. I think it could be decided that early. Um, but, I mean, my head and my heart are two different things at the moment, but a, a, a mid-table position, a sort of 14th place in the cup run would be a really good result this season, which is a depressing thing to look at. But, I mean, the song, as the song goes, fortune's always hiding. And there's a reason why Bubbles is the West Ham anthem, because every single season it's the same. It's <laughs> yeah, it all, you always get so close and then it all falls away and crumbles and bursts. So if we stay up this season, that would be a good result. Oh, I feel sorry for you guys. Honestly, it's not it's not the way it should be. You moved to a new stadium. It should have been a dawn of a new era. I remember the last game at... Uh, at Upton Park, obviously, that phenomenal uh, victory for West Ham against United. It was just, it was special. Uh, it's yeah. just such a shame, you know, and you, it's sad. You see a lot of clubs, they, you just don't deserve it. And it, a lot of it stems from the ownership and uh, mismanagement. And it's just not yeah. fair on the fans. But Jim, talk to me and the listeners about your, po- yeah, go on, mate. Sorry. Before I, t- before I tell you about my podcast, um, I should just say that I think I have a theory about football fandom that, it's much more fun to support a bad team than it is to support a good team because you're you're a Manchester United fan yeah. and you, you've experienced the glory days and the European victories and all that kind of thing. When you, when that's your level, it's difficult to get happy about anything because everything is depressing now. Yeah, exactly. You expect to treble every single season, and anything below that is disappointing. When your expectations are so low as a football fan, as a West Ham fan, then even I mean, I I remember I think it was the season before last. Yeah. West Ham printed, I don't think it was official T-shirts, but there were T-shirts doing the rounds that celebrated a double over Spurs in the league. We'd beaten them home and away and they were printing T-shirts to celebrate the fact. So when your bar, when your bar's low, you get much more pleasure yeah. out of football because anything's like, one of my highlights from last season was the game we lost to Spurs where we were 3-0 down at halftime. We lost 2-3. It's like, hey, it was, it was a half decent yeah, comeback. So yeah, I mean, it's not, I it's not all bad. Not all bad things. Talk, tell the listeners about your podcast because it's um it's brilliant. I was on your page the other day. Obviously, we we've only just recently connected, and um no, honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. But yeah, talk to the listeners about your podcast, where they can find it. We'll chuck your at handle and the podcast in the description. But um, yeah, the floor is yours, mate. 
So um, I am part of a team that looks after a daily Premier League podcast. It is the only daily Premier League focused podcast in the world. It's called Football Social Daily. You can find it by searching Football Social Daily wherever you find your podcasts. It is a 45 minute podcast talking about everything that's going on in the Premier League. So you can find that wherever you listen to podcasts, Football Social Daily. Uh, You can find us on Twitter as well. Part of our bigger sports project is the Sports Social, which is at the Sports Social on Twitter. You can find us there for loads of different sporting content and stuff to listen to. Absolutely brilliant. Jim Salverson, this has been an absolute pleasure, mate. I've had so much fun. I know we meant to do 45 minutes, but honestly, that was so interesting. And um, I'd love you to come back on the podcast again as a regular. When United play West Ham, we'll get you on. And um, yeah, I appreciate you coming on, mate. Nice one. Thanks for having us, Halder. No problem. And uh, to all the listeners, make sure you smash that like button because apparently I was doing a little bit of research on YouTube. If you smash the like button, more likes, it gets, it hits, you know, the sort of uh, analytics. I don't know. Apparently that's what happens. So make sure you smash the like button and uh, we'll see you next.